I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 5. This morning we will walk through chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6 together as we continue on in our series, walking through the book of Genesis together, asking the Lord to speak to us through His Word as He promises that He will do. As we prepare to dive into Genesis chapter 5 this morning, I need you to know that I played football in high school. It's Super Bowl Sunday, so you got to talk about football at some point, right? So I played football in high school, and my sophomore year, we were not very good. And when I say not very good, I mean we were really bad. In fact, I was on a team that went 0-10 and 10 my sophomore year, which if you're not a football person, that's no wins, 10 losses. We were miserable. But here's the thing. Our coach, for whatever reason, always would say to us, there's hope. And I just want you to know that there really wasn't. I mean, it was... <laughs> Church, it was bad. I mean, we played one school, number one in our region, that their cheerleaders would do push-ups every time they scored to whatever their score was. Before halftime, they had 56, and they just quit. (laughs) Not doing that anymore. But our coach had this mindset that games are won and lost in the fourth quarter, even though for us it was the first quarter. And so he said, we've got to prepare for the fourth quarter. And he would take us on Mondays to what he called the crucible. We would watch game film. We would come in and he would run us to death. And he thought, if we'll just put them through the crucible, maybe we can actually win a game in the fourth quarter. Never worked. Never happened. But, as we get ready to dive in the text this morning, what I want us to recognize and to understand as we begin to prepare to walk through the text today, is that we live in a world as followers of Jesus Christ that is a crucible for our faith. And it's easy for us, if we're not careful, to look around us and to see the sin-shattered world in which we live and to grow discouraged and to feel like, what is God doing? What is He up to? Can He bring anything out of this that is resembling His plan or His purpose? And what I want us to recognize and understand that we'll see this morning in the text is that God always, always, always has a remnant of His people that He is working through regardless of how bad it gets out there. God is always at work through His people regardless of what's going on in this world in which we live. Now, as we dive in to the text this morning, as we were meeting with men's group on Wednesday morning, I told them, this is a difficult passage of Scripture to walk through. 
One, chapter 5 is nothing more than the genealogy of what's going on with Adam and Eve's descendants. So we got genealogy in chapter 5, and then we go into chapter 6, and things get into just chaos. I mean, I told them that this really is, I thought about instead of titling Remnant, titling this message, Genealogy to Jerry Springer. Because that's where, that's where it goes. So just prepare yourself for what's going on in chapter 6. We're going to get there. I want to read for us this morning, Genesis chapter 5 through chapter 6, verse 8. This is what God's Word says. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. And named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived, after he fathered Enosh, 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived, after he fathered Kenan, 815 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived, after he fathered Mahalalel, 840 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. And Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. And when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands." Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and Also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As we look at the text this morning, as we consider these passages in our scriptures, Genesis chapter 5 and the first part there of chapter 6, I encourage you to write down this truth that we'll come back to time and time again as we walk through the text, this main idea that if you remember nothing else this morning, you would remember this truth, the chaos of a sin-shattered world is often the crucible where God's remnant is revealed. The chaos of a sin-shattered world is often the crucible where God's remnant, God's people are revealed. You know, it's interesting as we've been walking our way through the book of Genesis, starting in Genesis chapter 1, looking at God's creation, looking very quickly that God had said, this is what life should look like. This is what it should be. If you want to flourish as a human being in this world, walk in obedience to me. Walk in relationship with me. And we saw in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve very quickly decided to go their own way and against what God had laid out for them. And sin in that moment enters the world through Adam and Eve. And what we're going to see this morning is very, very quickly how bad things actually get. When sin is left unchecked, when it runs rampant throughout human beings' lives, when they pursue what they want instead of what God desires for them, when they pursue their own passions and desires instead of walking in obedience to the Lord, we're going to find out where that takes us as we look in chapter 6 this morning. Unless we look at this passage and say, man, there's just a lot going on. I don't really understand what's happening here. There's some, some interpretive issues that we're going to unpack here in chapter 6 in just a bit. But here's what I want you to remember. That every single one of us, if we are followers of Jesus this morning, 
we recognize very readily that we live in a sin-shattered world. In fact, we look around us and recognize that there are problems in this world, oftentimes problems of our own creating, but then problems that other people have created around us, sin that affects us, and then the fact that we just live in a sinful world. It's easy for us as we look at that to wonder, what's God doing? Can God work through this to bring about His plan? And the reminder and the refrain throughout Scripture, beginning here and throughout the pages of Scripture, is that absolutely God is at work in the lives of His people. Regardless of how bleak it may look, there is always a remnant of God's people that He is bringing about His plan and His purpose through. As we look at the text this morning, chapter 5 was... Just a lot of names. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but there's a lot of people involved there. Someone said this morning, hey, how do you read that? And I say, if you just read it fast and do confidently, nobody knows if it's pronounced right or not, right? (laughs) Just move right on through. But at this point in time, what we're seeing, which was a question we got last week when uh, several people had reached out and they said, who was Cain that was afraid someone would murder him? Who was he talking about? Where are all these other people that are on the earth? Well, we see it listed out here. I mean, people were living into the 900-year-old range. Talk about prime timers. That's where you see them first. They were having children, and those children were having children. There were generations on top of generations on top of generations of children. And, and if you notice as you walk through, there's just, just a couple of times you see a, a, just a glimpse of hope. You see it in Enoch. Enoch walked with God. You see it here with Noah as it's talked about that maybe the Lord's going to do something through Noah. But what we're going to recognize in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, the disastrous effects of sin. Notice, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, this is what the scripture says, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. I want you to notice that the Lord responds to this in verse 3. The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Notice verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward... When the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. Verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that, listen to this, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So notice what's going on in chapter 6 in these first five verses that people are having children, that they are populating the earth. That was one of the things that the Lord had said. But because of sin that is in the world, we see things very, very, very quickly go awry. 
In fact, there's some things going on. You may not pick up in it, but just I want to unpack this for you because you know if you've been at North River Church any length of time, we're going to walk through verse by verse what's going on in Scripture. There's some passages of Scripture that we're going to walk through that I'm going to say to you. We really struggle to know what's going on here. Here's a couple of different interpretations that have been laid out for us. Here's the one I think is the best. Ultimately, when we get to heaven one day, this passage of Scripture will be one of the ones I want to sit down with the Lord and say, what's going on there? What in the world is happening? You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, when you look at verse 2, you've got a description here of the sons of God. Now, when you look at that throughout the Scripture, oftentimes that's what is referred to as angels throughout Scripture. So you've got the sons of God and the daughters of men. They were seeing them. They were attractive. And then you have moving down in verse 4, this same word used, sons of God, came to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. Now you're going, angels, children, women, what? What in the world is going on? Exactly. This is one of those moments where you read the commentators and all of them kind of say, we're not super sure, but here are really the two options that are on the table. One option that's on the table is that this is tracing out the two sons of Adam here. Remember, Cain was sent out by the Lord that it was said about him, nothing really good is going to come from him. So it's, it's possible here that these sons of God are descendants of Cain who are marrying the descendants of Seth, the women of Seth's line, the other son of Adam that is there, and that they're having children together. But the problem is that what's described here is not a positive thing that's going on. In fact, there is grievous sin that is taking place in this. Now, so that's one interpretation. The other one is the sons of God that are described here are actually fallen angels, demons. Now you're like, where am I today at church? What is going on? I'm just telling you, that's what commentators are looking at and, and describing here. And, and the reason in verse 4, the Nephilim are described is Nephilim simply means giant people. And so there's this thought that maybe somehow these demons have possessed mankind and they are having sex with the daughters of man and that as a result of that, there are giants that are born to them again. We don't really understand all of this. What we do understand is that it must not be good. Because the way the Lord describes this is, one, in verse 3, let's limit the age on mankind. Remember, they're living previously in chapter 5 into the 900 years old. And the Lord says, how about 120? It's getting pretty crazy out there. Let's shorten this lifespan up a little bit. And then as we look on, it says in verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Think about that description. 
that when the Lord looks at this creation that He has made, back in Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2, before sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3, do you remember what the Lord said about His creation? He said, it's good. It's good. It's good. And then after He creates mankind, He says, it's very good. And yet, Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world and it's not very long that the Lord looks and says, hmm, this is not good. It's not good what's going on with mankind. Now for us, we look at this passage of Scripture and we may look around us at the world and say, we echo that that the Lord's saying here. I mean, it's not very often that you have to look around and find the effects of sin in the world in which we live. Now, you may look at it and you go, it's the effect of your own sin. Sin that you've committed and you're reaping the results of that in your own life. It very well could be someone else's sin in your life that you're reaping the results of having to deal with that situation. And... It also is just the simple fact that we live in a broken and shattered world that the Lord promises one day to restore. He calls creation groaning, waiting for its redemption. Why do we face hurricanes and mental illness and things like that in the world? Well, it's just simply the effects of sin in the world in which we live. Do you realize this morning that we live in a broken, sin-shattered world. You say, Pastor, that doesn't sound very encouraging. And our culture has kind of went the opposite direction of that and said, basically, mankind's good. Which you look around, and if you think that's the case, our children's director, Lauren, would love to put you in our toddler's room on Sunday morning. Serve in there one Sunday. And real quickly you realize that every single one of us deals with the issue of sin. We are born sinners and we sin. In fact, I was thinking about that in relation to the letter that if you've ever had a preschooler that comes home. I call it the biting letter. I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those where either your preschooler bit another preschooler or another preschooler bit your preschooler and you kind of sit back and you think, why? You know, it's interesting, you don't have to teach your kids to sin. Have you thought about that? Why? Because left to our own devices, following our own passions and desires, instead of pursuing the Lord, instead of pursuing walking in relationship to Him, we pursue sin. That's what he's describing here. In fact, Paul would say that in Romans chapter 1. That the Lord ultimately just turns you over to yourself. If you want to pursue that, the Lord often just turns you over to pursue that. Now what we realize very quickly is that the effects of sin are disastrous. The Lord describes this here in a way that if we can see it for what it is, is absolutely 
breathtaking. The description in verse 5, the wickedness of man, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Notice verses 6 and verse 7. The second thing we see is the displeasure and judgment of God. Verse 5 follows with verse 6. The Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth and it grieved Him to His heart. Now you may struggle with that just a bit. In fact, as you read through that, you may look and go, well, didn't he know what was going to happen? I mean, God knows everything. God's able to see that. Like, he knew that was going to happen. So when it says that the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and that it grieved him to his heart, what's going on there? Let me try to paint the picture for you so that you and I can kind of get a bit of a glimpse of what's going on in verse 6 there. Think about this in relation to sin breaking the heart of God. Now listen, God had laid out for mankind. If you want to walk in obedience to me, this is what it looks like. If you want to experience human flourishing, if you want to experience life as it was truly meant to be lived out, it is in relationship with me, but we know the effects of sin. In fact, we choose to reject God instead of walk in obedience to Him. Instead of experiencing human flourishing, we instead do the exact opposite of that. So that like a parent who's watching a child do something that they've told them not to do. You look and you go, oh, I wish you could see it from my vantage point. How many of you, when you were kids, ever had when you were being disciplined, and I'll just kind of throw this out there, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, when you were being spanked as a kid, all right? How many of you ever had a parent say to you, show of hands here, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Anybody? Raise your hand. Let's unite together, right? And as a kid, I don't know if you had the same thought. My thought was, well, let's trade spaces. Let's see how this works out. But here's the funny thing. On the other side of it, as a parent, I understand. Because what we want for our kids is the best. We want them to walk in obedience. We want them to do the right thing. And so when we watch them do the wrong thing, it grieves our heart. We look at them and go, oh, you could have, you could have had so much better than that. We know what you need. For God in this moment, that is what verse 6 is describing. That God is grieved to His heart because He has made mankind in such a way that we can experience flourishing. We can experience the life God intends for us to experience if we will simply humble ourselves and walk in obedience to Him. But for mankind, the Lord looks out and says, you've missed it. 
You've missed the best that I have to offer to you. Not only does sin break the heart of God, but what we notice moving into verse 7 is that the result of sin, the wages, the Scripture says, of sin is death. So the Lord said in verse 7, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Wow. The Lord looks at His creation. His heart is grieved. But I want you to notice that God, in verse 7, discloses the judgment that mankind is about to experience. Now we're going to cover this in the next chapters as we continue to walk through the story of the flood and Noah and all that's entailed there. But what I want you to recognize and understand is that God very much takes sin seriously. That the wages of sin is death. Now, you may look at verse 7. It's easy to do that from our vantage point and to look at verse 7 and go, well, that's just not fair. I mean, for God to do that is just not fair. It's not fair that God would choose to exercise judgment against all of creation and to send a flood, which is what he's going to do in just a little bit, and for God to judge people because... That's just not fair. And here's the the deal. Do we really want what's fair? Because the truth is, God's Word tells us that what's fair is total separation from God for all eternity because of our sin. When God here speaks of His judgment against mankind, what we have to recognize and understand is that this is simply following in the character of who God is. You say, that seems harsh. No, it is just. Now, for just a thought of experiment, for just a moment, I want you to to think about because this is a question that often comes up in this passage of scriptures and others throughout the Old Testament where it talks about God exercising judgment against people, the flood in this situation, in other situations where an invading army takes everyone out. You look and you say, man, well, what about the kids? Now think about that. What about the kids I mean, that are going to experience this. Well, what we know in Scripture is that there is an age of accountability that if a child were to die prior to that, that child would spend eternity with the Lord. So think about this with me for just a second. In fact, for the children who find themselves in this, who possibly would have grown up in a culture, and we're going to see it even as we continue to walk through the book of Genesis, in a situation where sin is running rampant and they are growing up in that, that the Lord in His gracious act of mercy takes them out of that. And yet here we see God exercise judgment against sin. Now, if we stopped there, we'd all leave pretty discouraged this morning. We'd all look and go, well, 
That wasn't a whole lot of fun. But look at verse 8. But. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to notice thirdly the declaration of Noah's favor. In fact, we see here at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 6, it's a a theme that will run throughout the Scripture regardless of how bad things get. God always has a people. God always has a people that He is at work in and at work through to bring about His plan and His purpose. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, that there is a scarlet thread of redemption that is woven throughout the pages of history. We see that with Noah here. Noah finds favor with God. Growing up, when we would take road trips... We didn't have devices. Y'all remember that? You had a book. That's all you got. One of my favorite things to do when I was younger was the book, Where's Waldo? You remember that? Yeah, and you need to look it up. This is a picture of all kinds of things, characters, and, and there's one little guy that you're trying to find in all of, all of the chaos of what's going on in the picture. Trying to find Waldo. Hear me this morning. Throughout the pages of Scripture and throughout history, with the chaos of sin abounding, where chaos is everywhere, at every single turn, on every single page, is the thread of redemption of God at work through His people bringing about His plan and His purpose. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. For you and I this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you too, like Noah, have found favor in the eyes of the Lord, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. You see, when we talk about judgment against sin, what we recognize is that Noah is the example oftentimes pointed out in the New Testament when Jesus Christ talks about the issue of salvation and Him bringing that to the earth. He points back to Noah, just like Noah and his family were saved. Just like Noah and his family were saved. Noah found favor in God's eyes for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have found favor in God's eyes, regardless of what's going on in the culture around you, regardless of how bad things may get, you have found favor in the eyes of the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. It hit the news not too long ago college admission scandal. I don't know if you remember watching that or not, but basically people who were incredibly well off were trying to get their kids in prestigious schools and they would 
finagle a way to make that happen so that they could get in on scholarship or something like that. And one of the tools that they would use is they would have someone come in and they would take the ACT or the SAT for the student who was trying to get in college, someone who had perfected taking that test and could pass it and do really, really well on it, would step in the place of the student and take the test for them. I want you to hear me this morning. Jesus Christ took the test on our behalf. He is the one who makes it possible for us to be accepted in God's sight, not because of what we've done, but because of His righteousness that covers us. We are found in Christ and have favor with God the Father. Christ in our place. As we look at the text this morning, the question for every single one of us is have we found favor in the eyes of God? Are you part of the remnant like Noah and his family, like the other remnant that we see throughout the pages of Scripture, in the chaotic, sin-shattered world in which we live, are you a child of God? I want to ask you if you'd bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes and our worship team will make their way back up today. We'll play a song of invitation and give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord this morning. Maybe you've come in today and for you, the reality is you are experiencing right now in your life the effects of living in a sin-shattered world. Maybe you're walking through a difficult season in your life right now. Maybe it's because of your own sin, choices that you've made. Maybe it's because of someone else's. Maybe it's just simply because we live in a fallen world where we have to deal with things that are not part of God's original plan and purpose. Maybe this morning you just simply, as a follower of Jesus, need to be encouraged today. That in spite of what you may be walking through, God has a plan and a purpose for you. As one of His children, He's at work in your life right now that in the crucible of this moment, He's making it evident that you're one of His. Maybe today you just simply need to hit your knees, maybe up here at the altar, and just ask the Lord to work in and through your life, even in the midst of the pain and the struggle that you're walking through right now. Maybe you've come in today and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. When we talk about 
the brokenness of sin, you are living that out right now. You've never experienced forgiveness, which is only available through Jesus Christ. But today you can. Like Noah found favor in God's eyes today, you have the ability to find favor in God's eyes, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You have the opportunity right now to receive the salvation that his life and death and resurrection provides. I encourage you today to respond, receive that gift. Father, we ask this morning that you would continue to work in and through our lives, that you would encourage us and challenge us, strengthen us, convict us. Work in our hearts and our lives. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you if you would stand and give you an opportunity this morning to respond to the Lord. Maybe you want to spend some time at the altar here. If I can pray with you, I'd love to do that. If you need to take that step in trusting Jesus, we'd love to help you take that step today.